Okay, so for those of you in the Christology class, normally, welcome to our evangelism class for a week. And uh, before we look at this next lesson, um, just wanted to open it up. Did anybody have any opportunities to, to share the gospel this week that you'd like to, like to mention? George. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Thanks. We'll make sure we keep that in prayer. Anybody else before we move on? Jay. Uh, I sent the, the track because you get that track of the book that you gave us a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I sent it to my brother. So okay. Yeah. Keep him in prayer because he's not a Christian. Yes. When I was a missionary, he, he, he visited me once. Okay. And, and so he knows what it's all about. Okay. Um, but in the past, our relationship. Right, right. So I don't know what happened. He never responded, but he's got it. Yeah. He didn't send it back to me to pieces. Yeah, yeah. Amen. He is. Yep, exactly. Good stuff. Okay, keep that in, in prayer. All right, anybody else? Good. All right, cool. Yes, Deborah. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. say you have to talk fast and yeah. pray you're not too pushy, you know, but still saying something. And she was open. She yeah. said she'd like to come. She's not worried for church love. Yeah. And Very we also talked with the man when we were having trouble at AT&T with our phones and T-Mobile and all that. Then we had a long wait. We just said, okay, Lord, there must be a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a, a, a time to share. Yeah. His name's Richard. Okay. And he actually said he come uh, last week. Okay. Excellent. Very good. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's just take a moment. I want to pray for these real quick, and then we'll we'll go on with our lesson. Well, Father, we thank you for uh, again just the opportunities to bear witness for your name, and Lord, having tasted the greatness of this salvation, Lord, we long that others might taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, I just want to pray for these, Father, that you would continue to work in the hearts of those who have heard the gospel. Thank you for the opportunity for all those that went out to Lake Eola yesterday to bring the gospel, George and Yvette, Pete, and others. Lord, we just pray that the seeds that were sown, again, would find good soil, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for the opportunity that Jay had to send this Two Ways to Live track to his his brother. Uh, Father, we just pray for his heart, that it would be soft and receptive uh, to the truth of your word, Lord, and that you would work in him uh, for your glory. We thank you for that. And then for Deborah and Forrest, Lord, with Deborah's witness to Elena, and then both of them with Richard. Father, again, we just pray that it would bear fruit for the sake of your name, Lord. Um, thank you for the privilege of just planting and watering, and we trust that you will give the increase 
as you desire. So we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so moving on now. Last week, you may remember, we talked about how to be effective in sharing our personal testimonies and of, of how the Lord saved us and making sure that uh, the gospel is incorporated in that soundly or using your testimony as a bridge to get to, to the gospel. Uh, this week, we want to broaden that scope just a little bit and think about not only the power of our personal testimony, but the power of the testimony of the church. Inviting unbelievers to church is a good thing, and it should be a very powerful witness uh, to an unbeliever. What we desire in that when we bring unbelievers in is that they would see what it looks like when the people of God gather together to worship Him so that they can also hear a corporate witness rather than just an individual witness. Now, certainly there are churches who have gone about this the wrong way and have sought to just entertain unbelievers, trying to show them how much alike we are to them, to a fault, I think, um, creating services that are man-centered rather than God-centered, and so on. Even with that, though, we should invite unbelievers in, not to show them necessarily how much alike we are to them, but to show them how distinct our God is, and therefore, how distinct He calls us to be as the people of God. A church service that's biblically centered really ought to be a foreign environment to some degree for an unbeliever as they they come in. We can certainly testify with unbelievers that, yes, we are a lot alike in some ways, but in the main way, we are radically different. And that should be a powerful witness to an unbeliever, whether they agree with what they see and hear or not when they come in amongst the people of God. So with that said, our aim in today's lesson is going to be to talk about the corporate witness of the local church. And the aim of this lesson is to help equip us to become more faithful, personal evangelists by learning how to use the church in every part for our evangelism. Um, just a couple caveats here as we kind of get going with this. Um, some people could misunderstand this topic and think that the local church exists to do the work of evangelism for them. They may think that the the preacher is the paid professional, so to speak. He's he's their evangelist for hire, right? I'm bringing an unbeliever today. You better share the gospel. (laughs) Um, And that their only responsibility is to, in evangelism, is bringing unbelievers to hear the preacher explain the gospel. Okay, so that's that's one error, I think. On the other hand, others think that evangelism should be done away from the church. In other words, to avoid scaring off non-Christians, evangelism should be done in personal settings away from any kind of religious institution or gathering. Okay, So those are the two errors that people can often fall into. But neither of those is, is right. Biblically faithful evangelism lies between those two poles, which we'll discuss this morning. And we're going to look at this on your outline there. You see three points with subpoints underneath each of those, each of those points, and uh, we're going to go ahead and and dig into that. So hopefully you have your note sheet there. So the first point there is how the local church 
proclaims the gospel when it gathers. When we gather together as a church, we hold out the gospel to each other, right? We bring it to one another, how it strengthens us, grows us, but we also hold it out to those who are coming in who don't yet know Jesus. In fact, we not only hold out the gospel, but here's the massively encouraging promise that we have from Jesus, that when we come together as his people, he is actually among us. And because of this, the corporate gathering is a powerful evangelistic tool. So what I'd like to discuss is how the church works as an evangelistic tool. And I want to kind of build that argument for why you should confidently invite your non-Christian friends to join you at church. And you can see the five subpoints underneath that, five ways this happens. The first point there is when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel preached. One of the main tasks of a pastor is to proclaim the gospel of Christ, both for the building up of the saints and also to evangelize to any who are in the people of God, who are gathered with the people of God, who don't yet know him. You know, when we look at the scriptures, we see Paul, Peter, John, Jesus, all speaking about the centrality of the gospel in the life of God's people. And so when the church gathers to hear God's word, the gospel should be clearly proclaimed. It should be central to the message, whatever that message may be. And to give an example of how God works through the proclamation of truth during the gathering of the church, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23 through 25. If somebody could go ahead and read that for us. Thanks, Amanda. The, the context here of this passage has to do with spiritual gifts of, of tongues and prophecy. And to understand this, we should remember that the vast majority of prophecy in the Bible is not about foretelling, but about forthtelling, telling what God has already done and exhorting God's people by preaching that to them. Laying aside the tongues part here, because we could get on a rabbit trail and chase this down for the rest of the class, um, think about the centrality of what Paul is saying here. How is this passage here encouraging for you to bring unbelievers to church? Chris. If it says that That's right, exactly. And, and you tie that in with what Paul says there about the aspect of prophecy or proclaiming the word of God, and you see the connection of that's how that works. So as the word of God is proclaimed, we're confident that God is at work in the hearts of his people, certainly, but when that unbeliever comes in, we pray that their hearts would be affected as well. Okay, so when that person, and if that person comes in, that's what it should look like. And where it says here, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. And then notice this, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. 
It's a powerful statement. Well, how does that happen? How, how is the secret of the heart disclosed? Well, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God just comes in and exposes that person. Okay, So we should be confident that the word of God is powerful to go forth and to work in the heart of that person that has, has come in. That's the power of the word as it is, as it is preached. Okay? Secondly, there on your notes, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel prayed. I'm not sure what your life was like before you came to Christ, but even when I wasn't a believer, I still prayed, even if I didn't know exactly what that looked like. I think back to the things that I used to pray for, you know, and, but I, was, I didn't have any understanding of what that was. So there, there was that inclination in me to pray, at least at some point, if, if not consistently. And I think this is the case for many non-Christians as well. You can ask them, hey, do you, do you pray? Right? It's a good question to ask a non-Christian. If so, what do you pray for? You could use that as a, as a springboard. But when, it, when a non-Christian comes into a healthy church, they should hear prayers that aren't just vain and repetitious, but which are heartfelt prayers and full of rich biblical content, thanksgiving, the joy of knowing Christ, conviction of sin, the truth of God's word. They should be able to hear the prayers of Christians are different from the prayers that they have been offering up. Prayers that are centered on things that are eternal, Prayers that are centered on things that seem to depend fully upon the grace of God, right? We are weak, needy people. Lord, help us, right? That's a foreign, foreign concept. So they should be able to hear it as the word is preached. They should be able to hear it as the word is prayed. And then third there on your outline, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel and the songs we sing. One of the sweetest aspects of corporate worship is when we gather together and sing the praises of God. Isn't it? Don't you love to just gather together with the people of God? Let's sing together. According to the scriptures, God's people should sing both joyfully and truthfully. Right. So when a non-Christian hears the people of God lift up their voices, they're doing so as if they believe in what they're singing. Or we ought to, right? Rather than just kind of going along with it. Of man, this is gripping my heart, the greatness of who God is. I'm overwhelmed by the gospel and what he's done for me in Jesus Christ. To make them wonder why we're so excited about this God we sing to. Not only is, it joy, is the joyful aspect of singing important, but we should also sing truthfully. When we sing, we should sing truths that reflect the gospel that we see in God's word. I can think about before I was a Christian and singing songs passionately that had nothing to do with truth, right? It was the truth of my own rebellious heart toward God. But now that we're Christians, we can sing not only joyfully, but truthfully. Psalm 119 verse 72, David says, my tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. 
There's truth locked in that. David sings of God's word, and when he does that, it proclaims truth to everyone who is near. See this in Colossians 3.16 as well. And notice the connection here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the truth. The truth of Christ's word. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay? So we just don't sing joyfully. We sing truthfully. So God's people should sing songs that are true. And as we do, God can use those gospel-saturated lyrics to pierce the hearts of those who do not believe. I asked uh, Carlos, I don't think he's here this morning, but if I could share his testimony. I don't know if you've heard Carlos's testimony, uh, Carlos Grisales. Uh, you know, he and his family were coming to the church for, for several months, and he had heard the gospel a lot you know, from his dad and from his mom and, and everything like that. But one morning in corporate worship, when we were singing the song, Jesus, Thank You, and he got to the chorus, your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. He said, in the middle of singing that chorus, I believe God saved me. He said, I came face to face with the reality of all these truths that I've known, and God brought that to bear upon my heart in that moment. It was a great testimony. That's why we sing gospel-centered songs, to strengthen our own hearts, but also what a powerful witness it is to those who don't yet know Christ. So we want to make sure that our songs are, are gospel-saturated, and when we do that, non-Christians can hear the gospel in, in the songs that we sing. Okay, let's take a look here at the fourth one. When the church gathers together, non-Christians can see the gospel displayed. They can see the gospel displayed. Before Christ ascended to heaven, he entrusted two ordinances to his church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both are a picture of the gospel to those who see them. So here we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week and baptisms throughout the year as the need arises. And when a non-Christian sees these two ordinances being carried out, they should see a clear picture of what it means to be a Christian. In baptism, they should hear a testimony about how Christ died for sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. They should then hear that the reason this person is being baptized is because through faith they've been united with Christ, and that now by trusting in Christ, they've died to their old life. They've left it in the grave, as it were, and by the grace of God have been raised to a new life. So baptism gives a clear picture of the gospel. In the same way, when a non-Christian sees a celebration of the Lord's Supper, they should see a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Christians are people who have fellowship with the living God through the sacrifice of His body and the shedding of His blood. The Lord's Supper proclaims we take sin seriously. This is what it took for us to be united to God the death of his son. They should also hear from the pastor who's leading the service explain that this celebration 
is something that only Christians are able to take part in. Now, the world may hear that and think, man, that seems really exclusive, that you're fencing off the table from, from the, everybody else, but really it's the most loving thing we can possibly do. By rightly preaching and teaching and singing and doing baptisms and serving the Lord's Supper, the church proclaims clearly to the world the line that Christ himself has drawn between those who are right with him and those who are not. It would be unloving for us to proclaim that all people are good with God or everybody's welcome no matter your profession. That would be the unliving, uh, unloving thing to do. So we want to follow what Christ has ordained for us. Okay, so they can see the gospel displayed through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then fifth point there on your outline, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can see the gospel lived out. They can see the gospel lived out. Something you may hear from time to time when you're sharing the gospel with someone is that they don't like church or they don't like organized religion. Um, You've probably all heard the Gandhi quote, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. They're so unlike your Christ. And while it's true that all of us at times can be occasionally hypocritical and that from time to time the church and those claiming to represent the church have misrepresented Christ in many ways, we must recognize that the church is still one of the best evangelistic tools that God has given to us. They can see this, as Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Somebody can read that for us. Okay. Jesus says that when we love each other, we're showing that he is who he says he is to a watching world. This love that we have received from him, we now display in our love toward each other. And that's, that ought to be a powerful witness to an unbelieving world. In a similar way, he says that when his church is unified, he is seen to be True in John 17, verses 20 and 23. If I can have somebody read that for us, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be. Okay, so notice that, notice that so that there, okay? This unity that we have, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Okay? The local church gathering together, as we gather together as the people of God, we make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible to a lost world. In the church, what we have is people from every tribe, tongue, nation, economic situation, and so on, come together in peace and love for the specific reason that Jesus has called us together as his people. Nothing else can explain that. 
And the only answer to why we would gather like this is Christ and his gospel. Okay, let me see if there are any comments that want to be made before we move on to uh, point two there on your outline. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Okay, let's move on. Oh, Chris. Yep. Yeah. Maybe a lot of experience taking someone to church who you know is an unbeliever. Yeah. And they seem to embrace everything that's going on as if they were a believer. Yeah. Uh, how would you, how, how do you handle, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. How would you handle a situation like that? Where you're hoping that all these things, um, you know, are something that they would, they would see as sort of like a bullet. Oh, that's, that's different. Yeah. Know, or maybe they'll be tempted like, seen that more often, but once in a while you take an unbeliever to church and he knows an unbeliever, yeah. and they're singing the songs without any conviction. How, how would you approach that situation? Well, I, I think your one-on-one relationship with that person is going to be vital to an ongoing witness in that person's life. Um, going through specific studies with them, if they're professing to be a believer, they should want to study the Word of God together. So in situations like that, I'm just a firm believer in what Jesus said in John 10, that his sheep will hear his voice. And if they're his, they're going to love his word. They're going to want to be with his people. They're going to be convicted by sin. Um, and if, if you know this person is an unbeliever, and I guess you're saying that based on how they're, how they're living or just profession or you know, whatever the case may be, uh, you can lovingly bring those things up as you know, areas of, of concern as you're continuing to dialogue with them. But certainly, to your point, they're... You know, are people in really sound churches that don't know the Lord that think they do? Um, I think Jesus hits on that in the Gospels, that that's the, the reality of it. Um, but yeah, I always try to just drive people back to the Word of God. If they're His, they'll hear His voice uh, in the Word. Um, and in that type of relationship, you can um, dialogue with them further about that. Um, that that's how I handle it personally. Okay, let, let's go on. Yes, George. You've already made reference to it, but the more the word is spoken in the service, which one of the things I love about our church is yeah. so Bible-centered, you know, like in Sunday school and prayer, and whatever we do, it's like the word is central. Right. But as long as that is being done, and also the gospel is being proclaimed clearly, yeah. you know, there's what the Holy Spirit could use right. to convict that person. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's move on to uh, number two here. Ways we can use the local church's gathering to discuss the gospel with non-Christians. And this will kind of pick up on your point, Chris, that you were just, the scenario that you were painting there. So, when we talk about the church, we should speak highly of it. I'm not just speaking about your local congregation, but the church at large. Uh, And this this point is short and simple, but in your conversations with non-Christians, you should talk about the ways the Lord has blessed you through the local church. Unfortunately, many people come from backgrounds where the church has not rightly proclaimed and protected the gospel, and because of that, they have a low view of what they would call organized religion. So as you're talking to the people who are in your everyday life, talk about the ways God has blessed you through the relationships and the lessons the Lord has been showing you through his word and through your church. 
you know, an example of how you can do this, how you can begin to discuss these things, let's say, for example, talking to your coworkers, what, what's, what's a common question a coworker asks when you walk in on a Monday morning? What did you do this weekend or how was your weekend, right? So initiate that conversation, ask them first, right? Be genuine, listen to what they're saying. Hopefully they'll reciprocate that question. Normally they do. It was great. Got together, together with people of God on Sunday and you can use that as a bridge to begin to discuss, to discuss those things. Under that, under that point there, second, the, one of the best and simplest things we can do is invite non-Christian friends and co-workers to church. Okay, you can invite non-Christian friends and co-workers to church. When you do this, here's just a few things to help make the most of their visit. Set expectations for them, right? Sometimes we get so used to, I know what this is going to be like when I go in, but you have to remember, think about yourself before you came Christian the first time you stepped into a real church, <laughs> or the word is being taught, probably a little like, all right, let me try to get my way around this. So when you invite them, it's a kind thing to tell them what to expect. Some people can be intimidated in coming to a new place. If possible, it's great if you can pick them up if they live close to you. Um, or at least, hey, when you get to the parking lot, give me a call. I'll come out and get you. And then you can walk in, you walk in with them. That kind of diffuses the situation. Just telling people what they can expect as they come into the church service can help them feel more comfortable and, and prepared. And then above that is you need to prepare with prayer. And ask others as well. I've, I've heard that consistently from, from you guys. Hey, I've got a coworker who may be coming to church next week. Let's, let's pray for this person as they, as they come. So ask a few other members to pray for whoever it is that you're inviting to be affected by the gospel. Number three there, we should talk with our non-Christian friends about what they experienced at church. So after the service, make sure that you take the opportunity to see what they thought about, what they heard and saw. An easy way to do this is to have something already arranged for them to join you and maybe a few others to go out to lunch after the service, depending on their personality. I mean, if they're a little more introverted, you may just want to just be you and that other person. If they're more extroverted and they like to be around other people, you can invite some others from, from church. Um, but, you know, that's a great opportunity to help them see what it looks like as Christians gather together outside of our corporate, corporate service. Your friend will be able to see the gospel lived out and have conversations with other believers. And when you follow up with them, make sure, man, thank you for, thanks for coming today. I really appreciate you taking me, taking me up on that. And uh, you, can, you can follow up with that. So very often, it's a really big step for a, a non-religious person to go to church, especially if they've got things in their background that are affecting that. Okay, all right, number four there. We should invite non-Christians just to hang out with us and our Christian friends, right? To bring people in. Another simple but important part of every of our personal evangelism is to invite unbelievers to join us in our everyday lives. Whether you're having a little get-together at your house, you're playing a sport of some kind, you're watching a movie 
or a game or gonna, you're going to grab a bite to eat, find ways to invite non-Christians to come along so that they can see the gospel lived out among other, other believers. Okay, so just a few practical ways that you can utilize the local church to reach out to those who are around you. Couple of couple of points on that. Um, let me just throw that out. What are, what are some things that you've invited non Christians to come and and join you in in the in the past? I don't claim to have the authority on this, so Robert. Yeah. Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Good. So bringing them into that environment there, that's excellent. Yep, there. So I had somebody at work that was having some surgery Amen. That's encouraging. It's very encouraging. Having people over for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then with ladies, just having them come over for a tea or coffee. Yeah, and yeah. And just visiting it. Just bringing them in your own environment and then just sharing naturally. Right, right. With the library, you, they want to go and look at the library and there are all these different books and they start asking questions. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. just is a real natural. Yes. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Yeah. 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 Can be, if you're just used to attending kind of secular weddings and you walk into a genuine gospel-centered wedding, it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> so that's that's great. That's a good good idea. Um, so some things to consider because as you ask other people to come to church, whatever the case may be, that may be reciprocated, right? And they may ask you, hey, come to whatever it is that they're asking you to come to. So um, just a, a couple thoughts on that is if the environment is one that might tempt you and cause you to stumble, avoid that and explain to your friend why you're avoiding that, okay? Um, it, it will help them to see how Jesus has changed your life, 
right? Because that may be something where you want to reciprocate that and you're trying to build that bridge with that person, but you're like, this is dicey, you know, for me to walk into an environment like this because of just certain temptations or whatever the, the case may be. Um, so use wisdom in that. Don't just say yes to everything. Give it thought as you seek to build that bridge. Secondly, um, if you're able, if they're inviting you out to some type of group setting, um, have like a buddy system. Like, you mind if I bring one of my friends and bring another Christian with you? Uh, if you're able, preferably somebody that this person has already met. Um, but that can be that can be helpful as well for accountability purposes and and so on. So just some some wisdom there that we need to exercise when we're seeking to uh, be involved in in other people's lives. We want to we want to think through that as well. Okay. All right. Let's look at point three here with time we have remaining. How the local church church helps us to be more faithful evangelists. Uh, this will be a, a little redundant. Ephesians 4 is going to be a passage, those of you in evangelism, in the evangelism class of like Matthew 28 and evan, uh, Ephesians 4. It's like we keep going back to these, these texts. But um, at the beginning of our le- lesson, I mentioned some people think that pastors should be the evangelists and that we should just bring non-Christians to hear them speak. And while that should be an avenue for us, we have to recognize that that's really not what the New Testament teaches. Okay? Uh, the Bible is clear that all Christians are, pro- are called to proclaim the gospel and that pastors should be equipping us to evangelize, not necessarily just doing that for us. While they can certainly supplement what we're doing, it shouldn't be the primary thing that they're doing in our place. Um, and we see that in Ephesians 4. 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, I think it's 11 and 12 actually, and there, there it is, the reason there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, okay, so to equip the saints for the work of ministry, so the training of the church to do the work of ministry is one of the primary responsibilities of the pastors, and the labor of the pastors is to equip Christians so that they can take the gospel out into their world each week. And that's why we, we're doing a class like this, to, to equip us to be able to be more effective in going out and proclaiming the gospel. Uh, something that we want to remember is that God has equipped each of us uniquely to proclaim the gospel. And there are a few things that are helpful to remember. You are who you are and where you are for a reason. Okay, God has gifted you as he has, and he's placed you in a specific place to be a light for his glory, wherever that may be, right? So never lose sight of that. Sometimes we can look out and we can see others, wow, they're doing so many things for the Lord, and I'm just over here in this little little pocket, and I don't really feel like I'm doing much. Well, God has you wherever it is that you are. Be faithful where you are, wherever that may be. Another point to remember is that your evangelism doesn't have to look like someone else's evangelism, although the content of what you say ought to be the same, right? It may look different, and I'm sure you've run into that personally, just through different relationships and different situations, that every opportunity to proclaim Christ doesn't look the same, but the message that we bring ought to be the same, right? Ought to be of one accord. 
if, if one person hears the gospel on a Monday and then another Christian comes along on a Thursday and brings the gospel to them, it may be two totally different situations. But hopefully they can testify on Thursday, I've heard this before, <laughs> right? This isn't a different message, even though it's a different situation. Number three, and this goes back to that first point, is God has placed you wherever you are, and for this purpose, to make his name known. To make his name known. So whatever that may look like in your context. Okay? That job that you have, the neighborhood that you live in, you're there to make his name famous and to lift it up for all to see. Okay, most of our evangelism probably flows from our relationship with non-Christians that God has placed around us. Uh, but in God's kindness, we can also look to our local church for other opportunities to share. And while that looks different in various churches, hopefully the church can provide opportunities to help you evangelize. Um, so, for instance, here at Faith, we have door-to-door -door opportunities going down to the abortion clinic, out to Lake Eola. There's a group went out to Lake Eola yesterday, to Christmas parades and things of that, of that nature. While our individual witnessing is powerful, those of you that have gone out with others to proclaim the gospel know how sweet that is in, in that time. That's like an added bonus that you have the opportunity to fellowship with one another and to co-labor as you bring the gospel out to other people. It's also an added bonus in the sense that one person is proclaiming and the other person is praying while the gospel is being proclaimed. Uh, questions that are asked by unbelievers may stump you, but this person over here may understand what they're saying and may have an answer, an answer for that. So there's, there's a, a sweetness to being able to come together as the body of Christ and to go out together and to proclaim the gospel. It's a great encouragement um, to be able to, to do that. And that leads to, to the last point that I want to make here, and that is this. The local church encourages us to evangelize. Being together with the people of God encourages us to evangelize. As you hear testimonies about other people evangelizing, it encourages you to want to be more faithful in your opportunities to bear witness for the name of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Isn't that a great statement? toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the blessing of coming together as the people of God is we can spur one another on to that end. And in this task of evangelism, that's certainly applicable in this situation. So hopefully with, it, with this lesson, you can see the blessing of utilizing the local church and helping you to be more effective and consistent and your mission of proclaiming the gospel. Amen? Okay, we have a few minutes left for any additional comments, questions. George. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Very good. Okay. Any others? Sharon that um, her mom came out of Catholicism and she had a friend who was a Christian but during their time of their friendship she never shared the gospel with them so when, when her mom became a Christian she was like why didn't you ever you know, bring the gospel to me um, so yeah just taking advantage of those opportunities that we have as, as we see a world around us that's just hurting and blind and dead in their sins that compassion should drive us to bring the gospel to you <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, our evangelism schedule, you guys got a copy of that while I handed one out last week. It's also up on our website. If you under events, you can see, just look at the month and you'll see what we've got, what we've got going on there. Um, so yeah, just take advantage of that. It's a sweet time to get out with the people of God and, and proclaim, proclaim Christ. Amen. Okay, Forrest. I was thinking that uh, how important it is we should always be ready to share the hope that's within us. Yes. means a couple of things. Uh, one, I really appreciated what you said about the content is the same, but when we're out and about and we're doing whatever we're doing or when somebody knocks at our door, whatever that conversation opens with, you can find a way to take that and utilize it. An example would be Christ and the woman at the well. Yeah. He didn't share that same methodology. He shared the gospel, but he didn't share the same methodology with everyone. Everyone yeah. is different. Right. Another thing I think that's really important is uh, sometimes we forget, but we always try and, uh, hey, I'm going to go to Home Depot. Where I need to get a couple of tracks. You know, if you have a track, you can stick in your back pocket or in your purse or something. 
as you're talking to somebody, it's easy to say, you know, it's so kind of and I can see you're really busy. And at the moment, you're not so busy at the cash register. So you need to take a look at this. But, you know, we always need to be ready. Yeah. If we're not ready and we're not hunting for those opportunities, yep. they're going to pass by. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. Good point. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and uh, we'll close out, close out in prayer. Well, Father, we want to thank you uh, again for first the reality that individually you have saved us out of the darkness of our sin and brought us into the light of Christ and that you've brought us into the body of Christ, the local church on a micro scale and the universal church on a macro scale and how thankful we are to be in Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to see those around us and as Forrest was mentioning, Lord, to be intentional about inviting people to come to church that they would see and hear the hope of the gospel, not only through our own lives, but also all these others who have been brought from death to life. So, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be mindful, to utilize our time well, to be fervent, Lord. Help us to remember just the, the brief time that we have here on this earth. We want to use it for your glory and to make your name famous to all those that are around us. So please help us to that end. And thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.